Hello and welcome. This is your host Karima and today in the cast of Oil and Gas edition we have Keith Stelter. He's West Texas business development manager at ARC Energy. Well, I have to say when I connected with Keith some time back, he was looking for a new opportunity and it was his brilliance in storytelling that really fascinated me. Keith comes with two decades of experience in core operations in the oil and gas industry and i'm sure that doesn't involve content creation or social media marketing but if you're connected with keith you would know the kind of content he puts out there online it's authentic it's personalized and it truly makes an impact he has been on some amazing shows telling his story including my favorite david gibson's vidro locksmith I'm so honored that I got the opportunity to listen to Keith talking about his roots, his lovely family, his oil field journey and his extraordinary experiences in this challenging yet exciting landscape. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Keith is a leader and we are so proud to have him on the Story Bar podcast. Also, your support makes a huge difference. Don't forget to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and everywhere where podcasts are. Welcome to the podcast, Keith. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great, Keith. Thank you so much, and so pleased to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for joining. Me. I'm excited to be here. This is, uh, you know, my first one-on-one kind of interview. You know, I've done a couple little things here and there, but nobody's ever asked, you know, to interview me full full time. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, Keith. As far as my understanding goes, I believe that who we are as an individual is shaped a lot by where are we coming from by our roots so to begin with i would really like to understand you about your roots about your family well uh i have pretty humble beginnings uh i grew up on a farm in northern canada uh alberta it's a uh, you know, Alberta, if you're not familiar with Alberta, it's a lot like Texas, mm-hmm. other than instead of playing football, we play hockey and it gets cold instead of extremely hot. But there's big lifted trucks, lots of oil field, cattle farms. Uh, you know, it's a lot of resource based industry there. So uh, my parents had a little hog farm. Uh, you know, we raised pigs, cows. Uh, grain and then in the winter time you're, you're not growing anything my yeah. father used to haul rigs uh, you know move rigs uh, he had a winch tractor so i grew up around you know the oil field as well as you know farming so machines waking up early working long days and so i got exposed to that real early and that's how i was raised and ori- originally i went to school um, for building roads Mm-hmm. One of my first jobs uh, out of high school or summer summer job was building roads for this road construction crew. And I, you know, I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting and went to school, took civil engineering. Mm-hmm. And after about three years, realized, hmm, I don't know if I really want to stay with this. So Slumberger mm-hmm. actually recruited me okay. and I got into wireline mm-hmm. and worked wireline for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada started in the shallow gas industry, so it wasn't the most technical work, 
but it was high efficiency. You had to, you know, it was faster than anywhere else kind of on planet Earth. Uh, they have a similar kind of field in, in Bakersfield, California, but everything is about how fast can you do my work today is, is basically it. So it was a great place to start because it was very right. repetitive. You learned a lot of efficiencies. And then after a few years, worked my way up, a transfer here and there, and ended up uh, working in the Barnett Shale in, mm -hmm. uh, in the US. And all the horizontals uh, started, you know, this early 2000s or mid, by this time it was about mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking high pressures and a lot more complicated work. But I had that efficiencies from where I, I started under my belt. So I mm -hmm. think that really helped build right. me up. Right. Another thing that, you know, where I started with Slumberger, uh, mm -hmm. a little place called Brooks, Alberta, was I was very, you know, fortunate to work in a, in a very diverse work environment. You know, we're talking almost 20 years ago. Yeah. There was lots of women working. The head of Slumberger was a woman named Catherine Hughes. Um, some of our best salespeople, they mm -hmm. were... There were women too, and there was two uh, 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 engineers. You know, there was a, a, a Brandy Kohler, and then the fastest perforator. Like, doesn't matter. You know, it, it's still kind of, you know, it's funny looking back. The fastest perforator that we had in the district was a, a woman named Jen Goulding, and she worked her butt off. Like, there was no, no keeping up her. Mm -hmm. So very fortunate. You know, that passed on later on in my career where, you know, that was normal for me. And, you know, I've seen recently, recently a lot of the push in the industry for, you know, diversity. Yes. So I just thought I, I, I mentioned that because it came up in conversation the other day and I was like, man, I really was fortunate to, to start where I did with Slumber J. Yeah. But getting back, you know, working in the Barnett Shale, uh, more technical stuff, mm -hmm. uh, eventually, left Slumberger and had the opportunity to bring a lot of that horizontal experience mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I got there uh, back to Canada. And I got my first, you know, management experience with uh, Weatherford as a wireline op uh, operations manager up there. We were doing this big horizontal project for in Canada, uh, in Canada called uh, the Horn River. Mm -hmm. And it was in Northern B uh, British Columbia and, you know, lots of people, lots of money. So, was great bringing that experience back. Uh, eventually they had a real big turnover in uh, Weatherford. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got to explore a couple more opportunities, ended up uh, you know, as a well site consultant, even mm -hmm. did some time overseas working mm -hmm. in Iraq as a, as a wireline manager. Wireline has been really, really great to me. Yeah. It uh, was technically strong. It was lots of training. You, you get a, you know, exposure to explosives, radiation, nuclear magnetic resonance, all kinds of big words and, and complicated stuff and mm -hmm. technologies. And I've got to see the wor world because of it. But eventually, you know, I came back from overseas and uh, my wife's originally from Texas. Mm -hmm. So when I got back from overseas, you know, we decided to start a family and having kids and she wanted to be back uh, closer to her family, which is from a little place called Cleburne, Texas. So mm -hmm. We, we started the immigration process and I, you know, came to the U.S. and eventually ended up back with Weatherford, uh, you know, had some great relationships over there and worked with them for a while. Uh, you know, 
worked, I was the subject matter expert for horizontal completions for a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. PDP is what it's called here uh, for perforating. And then was Oklahoma manager and then got promoted up to area manager for the Permian. And eventually, you know, Weatherford uh, US, you know, had some issues, their compliance lost the radiation mm -hmm. uh, license for working in New Mexico. So it really bit into the, the business and eventually they, they had to shut it down. So I actually had some great relationships back at Slumberjay. So I did some sales with Slumberjay mm -hmm. and uh, for a little while up until, you know, recently, everybody's aware of the global pandemic, COVID-19 basically turned, uh, Oil prices negative here in West Texas, West Texas Intermediate, I think went down to minus 37 or something. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot left and got laid off and been spending my time marketing myself on LinkedIn ever since and making connections. And that's how I think you noticed me. And uh, that's where we find ourselves kind of, kind of today is where, you know, I'm, just trying to get out there and get out of my comfort zone. I was a operations guy for mm -hmm. you know nearly 20 years. Uh, not a whole lot of you know online or marketing, you mm -hmm. know, sales experience. You know, you're always dealing with sales and management. So you know, I, there's definitely some exposure. But I'm right. You know, and for whatever reason, people have noticed me online, and uh, that's where we we're at today. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have simply followed your content and got really inspired by it. I love the way how you engage with the LinkedIn community. It feels very personal. You feel that you are a part of this conversation. You don't have to be a part of the oil and gas industry, but still, I feel that, you know, Keith is including me in this conversation and I should engage with the content he's putting out there. And before we dive deep into your extensive experience in this industry, Keith, I would want to understand, was oil and gas your first career choice? Because so many people are driven by some unique motivation to join this uh, global space. Was there a specific motivation or did you ever dream that this is the industry I'm going to land into or you had some other plans and but this was a matter of chance? Well, actually, so I, I mentioned, uh, I went to school for civil engineering because I wanted to build roads and right. I quickly, you know, after school, that wasn't for me. And I, my dream growing up, uh, I always liked football more than hockey. And watching some American movies, you know, I always liked Texas. So when the chance, when Slumberjay came along yeah. and, you know, they were speaking to their global presence, you know, immediately it clicked in my head that I wanted, I wanted to be a part of this and get a transfer. This is my opportunity to kind of live out a, a dream of mine to work my way and get to Texas. And sure enough, that's what I did. Uh, Slumberjay gave me that opportunity. That's where, you know, Texas is where my wife is now. That's where I reside. I, I live in West Texas. It's it's amazing. That's where I want to raise my kids. So it basically didn't start out that way. But then, you know, because of the opportunities that it, you know, sort of presented me, it, you know, always worked out for the best. I, I, that's what I believe, at least. Right, right. And since you're talking about your lovely wife and your kids, what I personally believe is... Um, as I also mentioned earlier, there's a lot of learning and inspiration. The skills that we hone come from uh, people whom we look up to within the family. So 
who would you say inspires you the most and what role would you say your family has played uh, for so long in shaping you into who you are today? Well, definitely my wife, you know, meeting her, she's, uh, you know, the more steady, if I may be more ups and downs, she's more steady and, but she's, you know, she went to school, uh, Baylor University, very, you know, you know great, you know, a great school for sales. And she does great, uh, has an amazing career in doing professional sales. Mm-hmm. She works for Nordic Ice Cold Chain Solutions. She uh, actually during the pandemic, it's quite because people were shipping more and more that w- worked out great for her. So watching her take it all in stride and just calmly going through it, you know, she's definitely one of my inspirations. She uh, keeps me level and keeps me grounded and lets me know when I'm getting out of control. So her uh, next, I'd have to say, you know, definitely my father, you know, working on a farm that hard, you know, uh, hard work at ethic comes from him. You know, he's, he's kind of a rough around the edges kind of guy. And, uh, you know, family may not have always been first. It was always make sure the bills are paid, but it's, make sure the bills are paid so your family's taken care of so i get a lot of that from him and uh, right now i'm just enjoying my kids they're four and five years old mm-hmm. uh, i've signed up to be a soccer coach i don't know anything about soccer other than the ball goes in the net and uh it's for my uh, daughter uh you know under six year old team and i got these five little girls one of them won't even you know is, t- is afraid to talk to me but it's, you know, getting out there and uh, doing new things and having fun with them. So, you know, uh, I, family is huge. Like if you don't have, I, I feel bad for people who don't really have that, that family connection because it, at the end of the day, it, it really is about them. And uh, the older I get, the more and more I, I realize that I, you know, I've been a young guy, I've partied and done things. I've maybe not always seen that, but if, uh, today has learned or you know taught me anything is family family first definitely absolutely absolutely and keith you were exposed to this culture of hard work and good work ethics as you mentioned very early in your life how would you how would you define the work culture in the oil and gas space because a lot of people out there who are not a part of this industry have this preconceived notion in their head that the industry doesn't really offer a work-life balance. How do you perceive that? How has that picture been for you? Would you say that uh, if we talk about work-life balance, it is something that we need to find on our own. It is a process. It is not something that any industry or a job can really give you what is your take on this i will say that the oil industry you know asks a lot from you when you're young mm-hmm. uh, you know definitely that's the time to really be committed to those long work hitches and stuff but at the same time you know my first schedule was working two weeks on and then one week off and you can do an amazing amount of things with you know a week straight of you know time to yourself so but at the same time now having some experience getting into you know uh, the offices and management or sales or quality type roles definitely the you know there's a definite shift 
where it was all work, work, work all the time. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, you got time with your kids. There, there's, especially in today's world, we're connected all the time. You can be at the baseball game and then answer a quick email and, and still get both covered, right? So I definitely would say the oil field asks a lot of you when you're young, but mm -hmm. you definitely can get it back with, you know, it's a high quality of life with, you know, the money that you can make and you can cash in with that, you know, that time with your kids, as long as you, you know, if you're starting out and you have a big family, maybe there is a lot of extra sacrifices, but if you start young, put in your time, you can cash that in later as you know, I'm getting up there. I'm 40 years old. And now I have the time to, you know, spend with my family. I, you know, I've been searching for work, but even when I was managing for, for Weatherford, it was a full-time job. You know, you had to ha have your phone on you all the time. I had, you know, I didn't find an issue. You know, if I wanted to make time for my family, I made time for my family. And I think mm -hmm. that's the case with anybody. Yeah. If they really want to make the priority of their family, they, they can, especially in the oil field. There's, mm -hmm. there's lots of support for that. Right, right. That's a very, very valid point that you made here. And going by your international exposure in this industry, that means being out there in different cultures among different people. What did it look like? Because one thing that people talk about this industry is that there is this amazing sense of solidarity because this industry is covering such a massive scale in the global spectrum. People do feel unified by a single source of inspiration, by a single cause. Any single event that affects the entire industry affects each one of the industry people out there. How has that environment been for you? Would you say that, you know, the people have been very supportive or there were a bit of challenges, but people knew how to break those barriers and really, really be out there for each other on the field? How has that been for you? You know, I've had, you know, the international time I've spent, like, and even, you know, here in the U.S. now with more and more people coming from overseas, it, it mirrors my time over in Iraq very much so. I was very surprised how we're more similar than we are really different. And uh, a few stories come to my mind. Uh, I was sitting around with a, a bunch of gentlemen in the office in, in Iraq. And I had a you know guy from Russia, Indonesia, South America, uh, locals from Iraq, Great Britain. And I kind of asked them one little question. You know, everyone was, you know, married at the time and and I maybe I, hopefully I'm not offended when I ask this but I, I basically asked this one question I was like you know we're all in the oil field and we all kind of have similar you know work ethics we're working hard all the time but I'm like about family life you guys are all married and they all yeah we're married I was like here's a scenario I'm going to try to explain to you and you tell me like if you can understand what I'm getting at and it doesn't matter like what we're talking about here, but hopefully you, you can understand what I'm saying. So I basically was like, let's say you and your wife are golfing. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. You know what golfing is, right? Mm -hmm. The sport of golf. Now, yeah, yeah, we all know what golfing is. And I was like, okay, let's say you try to show your wife how to swing the club. And they're like, okay, okay. And she doesn't really want to listen to you. She wants to kind of do it your own way. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. 
And I was like, say another person comes over, doesn't matter, man or woman, comes over and says to swing the club the exact same way that you just showed her. They're like, yeah, will she listen? Oh, of course, yes, yes, yes. And they all agreed. And I, I just thought that was the most hilarious, you know, yeah. for how different we are. Yeah. It all kind of works the same, right? Between, you know, uh, uh, you know, married couples, there's that, uh, depending on the mood or whatever, it's, uh, yes, it, you could say something and no, nah, you didn't say that right. And uh, the other person, other person could say it the exact same, you know, way and oh, yep, sounds good. So to me, the industry has always kind of been that way. It's supportive, it's similar. And like you said, uh, if one thing happens somewhere, uh, the rest of the world tries to support it, right? And, and do its best. Uh, that's not always possible, but uh, at the end of the day, oil field workers seem to be very similar no matter where you go. Right. Hopefully right. that makes sense. I, I don't know. I kind of sounded like a, maybe I got off topic there. No, 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 you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. And moving on, since we're talking about one single event impacting the entire uh, space, we have been talking about COVID-19. We have been talking about how this really affected the oil and gas industry. Let's talk a bit about how did it impact not just the professional space, not just the business side of things, but also the personal side of the story. And we have also talked a lot about what we really lost uh, during this crisis but i want you to highlight for people here what are some of the greatest learnings we can take from this one event that we are going to remember probably for the rest of our lives well you know there's always been downturns in the oil and gas industry but this one was exceptionally like massive like it, it's unprecedented uh, West Texas Intermediate went to negative, you know, dollars, right? Like it cost more than it actually made you. So at the end of the day, what I think the industry really found was that really great people, as well as, you know, maybe people that come and go with the industry had to be let go. And that was very unprecedented because people that, you know, companies didn't want to let go, they had to in order to try and survive. And a lot of companies actually didn't survive right mm -hmm. through all this there's been many bankruptcies many yeah. mergers there's been unprecedented layoffs and that i think has changed the industry and forced it to you know really take a look at itself and to see how it can prevent you know these ups and downs to begin with but i think it's forced a lot of the people to evolve from my own perspective you know i find myself without a job what, what can I do? Can I just send out, you know, applications and just wait for the phone to ring? And to me, I, that wasn't an option. So I, I took the opportunity that I'm going to try and learn a new language. I've been working on my Spanish uh, and then marketing myself, uh, getting on LinkedIn and, and doing something I've never, ever done before. And, you know, marketing and doing my own sales and networking which was you know definitely not something i would have said i was an expert in but now at this point for the amount of reach i'm able to to obtain it has been an evolution so for the people out there you know the industry definitely changed but there's going to be people that grow from it take the opportunity to grow and others are just you know going to go the wayside and, and find a different 
a different way to to get by and i think the oil field will definitely be you know different after this it remains to be seen is it going to be better is it going to be you know uh a tighter group uh, you know we'll definitely see in the next coming uh, year or so right right and since we are talking about linkedin marketing on linkedin Networking is one part of the story and building relationships is another part of it. How do you uh, envision that and what do people really miss? And if we talk about the oil and gas industry, networking is such an integral part of this space. We have been missing all these amazing conferences that uh, the industry has, OTC Houston, Adipec. People are missing being in these um, events. But now we are virtually connecting over Zoom. We are connecting on LinkedIn. We are engaging on LinkedIn. How can people leverage a platform like LinkedIn? And not just LinkedIn, if I may say, but any social media uh, handle out there, any social media platform out there where you can find the industry people. How can people leverage on the potential and power of platforms like these? Well, I think the leverage is going to come from, you know, the greater reach that you have. Like, look, look at this conversation we're having, right? Like, I may go to OTC or something Houston, but I'm not going, you know, over, over into India or, you know, the other side of the world to, to have a nice meeting. And now I think the evolution of the social, social media and everyone's seen its real potential, uh, you know, makes the world all that much smaller. And at the same time increases our network people are going to eventually get back to you know in-person conferences and stuff but i don't think you know these zoom meetings are going away i think they're only going to increase yeah. uh to the point where people have seen their, their usefulness they're gonna you know i was only able to reach you know an audience in west texas before now it's all of texas us and beyond so Anybody who doesn't see that kind of potential well, is just you know, gonna be left behind in my opinion. So why not go out onto social media? You, know, the, you don't gotta get on a plane. You don't have to use all this extra time. You get in front of your computer and you can reach thousands, potentially millions of people with, with just the click of a few buttons. Now, are they as good a relationships as in person stuff? It's okay, buddy. My son uh, getting uh, getting Nancy out there, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it, it really is the world has gotten you know smaller by utilizing this, and I, I really don't think it's going to go away. I, I think some of the in-person stuff's going to come back for mm -hmm. sure, mm -hmm. but this online stuff is is just you know you never know there might be another pandemic around the corner of something else or who knows uh, at one point. Like it really, nobody could have predicted COVID what it did. So to me, having this tool at your you know, disposal is just, you know, it's an amazing thing and I can't push it enough. It's been great for me. Yeah. And, you know, anything I can do to help anybody else to utilize it, you know, I, I'm there. Amazing, amazing. Would you also say that this is an opportunity for the industry people to communicate the right story? about the landscape uh definitely like you can get out more and more positive light on the industry using social media like 
you don't have to keep these internal stories. Say you have an employee does this great thing, right? Well, you can let the entire world know. And then other people can be like, oh man, that, you know, something similar happened to me. And then everybody else has a connection with that. If you start forming more and more of those connections, more sharing that, that positive light. And then, you know, people outside the industry will start noticing that they'll be like, well, here's this really large group of people talking about this. I better check it out. And they go, oh, wow, I would have never guessed that about the oil and gas industry. So that's what my hope has always been and tried to focus on is some of these stories so that they go out and people outside the industry see them. Right, right. And in your entire journey so far, Keith, what are some of the challenges you would say you are proud to have overcome? Uh, well, definitely the COVID-19 forcing me to evolve into this marketing, but, you know, growing up on a small farm, like around a small community up in Northern Canada, the oil and gas industry has forced me to get outside my comfort zone by moving away. Like I packed up my stuff in a truck and drove all the way. When I got my first transfer with Slumberjay, I drove all the way to Graham, Texas, like it was all the way from, you know, across North, North America. So I was, as you can imagine, pretty nervous to do something like that, but it's forced me to grow the, overcome those challenges. And then, okay, my next challenge is go overseas. Like I, I didn't speak the language. Um, you know, how am I going to get by there? Like, what do I do? You know, the planning, you just don't go to the store and pick up equipment like you do in North America. So, you had to adapt and overcome a lot of that. So I, I'm very thankful for all the challenges that, you know, has been thrown at me. I think I'm a lot better for it, to be honest. Right, right. You also talked about another major challenge. You talked about losing your job at one point of time. What did it feel like? I know it can be a disturbing question for for a lot of people because it is a heartbreaking situation a job does not only give us you know uh i can say a source of income but it is so much more than that it gives us a purpose and somehow we feel that you know something is amiss when something of this sort happen and during the pandemic we have seen the massive uh, layoffs what would you tell the people out there who are still struggling to find something meaningful? What would they really, uh, you know, what can they really hold on to at this point of time? You know, your job, it's part of your identity, right? And when you lose your, your part of your identity, you become lost. And a lot of the, the initial reaction is to get low. And, and I'll be honest, like I've, I've been down quite a few days as well, but at the same time, there's no sense putting that energy into that. Yeah. Uh, I know you're struggling with costs, people are me and income. Well, how am I going to make, you know, ends meet at the end of the day, you have to put your energy into a positive light. And if I could go back and tell my younger self, anything is to be more positive, even the more, you know, you know, sometimes I felt like the goals my manager or something were setting were just astronomical. How could I ever obtain that? And to me, I should have looked at it as more, how can I get as close to that as possible? How can I use that to really, you know, push myself to grow? And right now, all the job seekers out there, don't worry about, you know, if somebody's not calling you back or not, you can't control that. If it's out of your control, don't waste the energy worrying about things you can't control. If you're getting the interest, 
you're getting the intro uh, interviews, you're getting emails, you're getting the phone calls, you're doing all the right things. It doesn't matter that maybe you didn't get hired because it's, it's happened to me. I've had a lot of interviews because of this marketing, lots of, you know, phone calls, interest messages, emails. And at the end of the day, you know, I've been passed over countless times. I have made it to like second place more times than I'd like to admit. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It wasn't about me. It was about them. It's the choice they felt they had to make. And I can't control that. So all I can do is be the best. And that's what I would encourage everybody else. Be the best you can for that moment. Because if you start going down that, you know, that tunnel of negativity, it's never ending. Mm-hmm. And it it's not going to help anything. And oh, woe is me is not going to help you get a job. I see some of these posts online where people are like, oh, I'm desperate. I haven't worked in a year. I can't make ends meet. Oh, please, I'm begging. You, you might get a little bit of sympathy from that, but nobody wants to hire anybody who, who's, who's desperate. And that's unfortunate. And, and at the same time, there is a stigma. Like I, I've, I've noticed it myself, but there's nothing I can really do that people, if you don't have a job, mm-hmm. people are assuming you don't have a job for a reason. And that's just plain and simple. Like that's, I've seen plenty of people who had jobs be able to change jobs. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's lots of us who are unemployed. Why didn't that person who was looking just go and get somebody who didn't? And a lot of people, they don't like if somebody's been unemployed for too long. Like it's just like, well, something must be wrong with them. I'm not going to go look at it. And unfortunately that, you know, that's a negative for, you know, and not just the oil industry, any industry, people, people do that. And once again, it's out of your control. There's nothing you can do. You can start doing your own thing. You can start networking. Uh, Myself, I came up with a little idea to try it. I'm into fitness to a degree. So I just put a random post on Sunday. Hey, uh, would anybody like to just network, like have a get together of people working out together? Instead of, you know, there's happy hours, there's always golf, you know, golf, you know, everyone's drinking and, and yeah. eating too much. I was like, man, I'm not really interested in all the eating too much or yeah. drinking. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll just get together at the gym. Maybe we could see who, who does the most push-ups, or maybe we can see who runs a, a really good mile or we just, you know, we get together and do some of the things we enjoy, like getting healthier. Or maybe, you know, I used to be a trainer. Mm-hmm. I'll help, you know you want to know how to do an exercise properly, I can help show you that. And at the same time, we get to know each other. So right. people actually reached out and I actually have a meeting after this meeting with the owner of the gym who, who would like to support that. So it's, wow. you know, I didn't, nobody told me to go and do that, Yeah. but that's something I did on my own. And anybody who's looking for a job, find those opportunities to, to demonstrate that one, you haven't given up, you're, you're going to persevere, you're resilient, and you still got that positive attitude. That positive attitude is going to, you know, really light up your network and other people are going to really start to notice it. So that's what I would give, you know, for advice for any of the job seekers out there. You have to be positive. It's one of the hardest things you're going to have to do because, like I said, you've lost your identity with this job. You're trying to get the next one. But if it's out of your control, you just can't spend the energy working on it because you have to spend so much energy just being positive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what would your message be for the younger generation 
seeking a job in the industry because we have had a lot of uh, debates and arguments around the subject that there's so much that is negatively portrayed about the industry and these kids are in a very impressionable age group right so how would you help them make a make a good career choice and you have had an extensive experience in in uh, operations and uh, project management in uh, hsc right how would you help them understand uh, a good career path in oil and gas industry why should they really choose this industry well choosing the industry you got to be committed to it uh it's not it's not made for everybody and if you're you know just want an office job that you know just pays you a lot of money i would suggest you know the tech industry or something else mm-hmm. but if you want you know a job that's not a traditional job that you're never going to be bored at that you can never know everything mm-hmm. like the longer i spend in wireline the more i realize i don't there's less and less i know because there's so many subjects and so much technology and so much software and processing just from in, in wireline never mind mwd coil tubing and that's just you know in the upstream there's midstream there's downstream so it is a broad 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 industry yeah and if that's the type of career where you're always learning and you're never going to know everything then that's what i would tell them to choose also i found it very beneficial starting at a very big company because they had great training and then being able to decide app now, but it, that big company also comes with a, a few negatives as well. Mm-hmm. And so you can position yourself great to go to a smaller company. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, you can start at a smaller company, you're gonna get the, the connections and the networking, I think down too. So don't ignore that as, you know, something to avoid as well. Okay. I, what I've really learned and looked back on is I should have networked a whole lot more because in this industry it's you know not always what you know it's it's who you know so it's very complicated for me i liked the path i took it's where it's got me today i started a big company i've had some opportunities at smaller companies but because that big company i i know you know that training's so good i am hireable at a lot of different places so that was very beneficial to me uh, interning, you know, if it takes getting to be an intern, unpaid internship at a, a Slummer's a, a Weatherford, a Halliburton, a Baker, you know, go for it because that training that you receive there is going to be highly marketable later once you complete it. I know you don't want to hear that you have these student loans or you want to buy, you know, the next great thing, but invest in that training early so that you can cash in on it later is mm-hmm. would be my my suggestion right right and you articulated it so well it is a people's industry it's a lot about who you know rather than what you know so yes and moving on keith there's one event that um, i'm really keen on understanding because uh, on a daily level a lot of things impact the oil and gas space the energy space and there was this very peculiar situation that took place in texas area in february called the texas freeze right i want to understand from from the perspective of an outsider what message does this convey does the situation convey for the oil and gas industry 
Well, one of the messages basically is we're always going to have to expect the unexpected. You know, another unexpected event that occurs that's going to affect a lot of different industries, that uh, tanker getting stuck in the Suez Canal, right? So you never know what to expect, but you should do your best to always be prepared. And the freeze basically started revealing lots of different areas where Texas in particular mm-hmm. didn't, you know, always assume the conditions were going to be good for everything. Now it started with some of the renewables, mm-hmm. you know, the, the windmills and some of the, the solar panel, that power went down, but eventually, uh, natural gas lines froze because they weren't insulated properly. There were coal piles that froze. So it's basically something that if you don't think it can happen, it's going to happen. And that's always the case, you know, from my very first years at a well site, you never make plans to leave that. Oh, I'm going to leave the well site by 10 PM. Well, you've just jinxed yourself. Mm. You're leaving now at like 4 AM because something unexpected will happen. And, you know, there's lots of experience people are, I don't think they're being listened to that more corporate, uh, you know, people, people like it, it got really revealed that uh, the headboard of like the ERCOT, none of them were actually living in Texas at the time. So how could they be managing this great big entity for energy for Texas and not be here? So your local people are gonna be very, very important and always will be, no matter how far we get into automation and everything else, you're always gonna need a local presence in the Mm -hmm. oil field. So that's what I would think is the big message from that big freeze is expect the unexpected and make sure you always have a local presence because otherwise you're going to be scrambling and that scrambling time is just going to make things worse. Right, right. So I think it will take uh, me some time to understand the situation in depth and I might keep coming back to you for understanding this entire uh, situation. And uh, Keith, now to conclude with, how do you really uh, look back on your journey? What is it that you are looking forward to in 2021? Because a lot of us, um, you know, many of us wished that 2020 did not even exist. It should have been like, you know, an entire chapter that needs to be removed. But that's not how we really look at things, right? We need to be a little hopeful as well. So what is it that you are looking forward to in 2021? And what is your message for the listeners on the Story Bar podcast? Because this podcast is in India and the major audience that we have is from India. And it's always amazing to have someone from a different corner of the world because it brings in so many different perspectives, fresh ideas. So what is your message right now? My message, you know, I actually am looking back on 2020 what was good. You know, I let, you know, I lost my job. That's terrible. I, I felt bad, but it forced me to evolve. And I would hope that everybody over there looks back and, and looks at these challenges. Every challenge you look at that, that you've come across makes you the person who you are right now and gives you the tools to face more challenges in the future. So the positivity of, of 2021 is the only way to look at it. It could potentially be worse. You could have volcanoes and eruptions and a whole bunch of other stuff and a pandemics and two pandemics. Like, so look at it as 
is a, the opportunity was there to help build yourself up and toughen yourself up. I look back at all the challenges I faced over the industry and sure I, sh I could be higher up a, a big time manager somewhere and, and making lots of money. But at the same time, a lot of these places and, you know, challenges have forced me to evolve more and I get a better, better opportunity after, uh, this marketing. Now I can add marketing and social media, you know, and content creator to my, you know, 18 years of operational experience in area management. So now I'm looking at bigger and bigger opportunities instead of just being an operations manager. Now I want to be a business development or area or, you know, a director or something like that. So I would say to anybody over there that these challenges, you have to look at them at an opportunity and, or even just the opportunity to just start looking at things at a different perspective. Look at that. Like if you don't get out of bed in the morning, you know, and if you think it's going to be a bad day, you're going to be right. You're going to have a bad day. But if you, you know, are like, I'm going to look at everything in a positive light and say you stepped on a piece of glass right out of bed and you cut your foot. Well, at least you didn't cut both feet. Like you got to take a, the opportunity to, find a positive and that's going to help expand a lot of things and, and realize some things are out of your control. Don't waste the energy uh, worrying about them. Worry about what you can and, and yourself, your family, take care of them and people will start to notice. They might not tell you that they notice, but people notice that stuff. The views on LinkedIn, not everybody clicks like, not everybody comments, but I'll get random messages every once in a while from people that I've never seen enter, you know, uh, click with my content or engage and say, man, I really enjoyed that other post you did the other day. I don't really feel comfortable clicking. Thanks for, you know, doing that. That helped me. I would get invited to, you know, lunches and stuff from people just because they wanted to meet me with yeah. it. So if over there, if you're looking for a job, or even if you have a job, you should be trying to put yourself out there to know what you're going to bring and take all the challenges in the past, good or bad, and find something that made you stronger because of it. That's That would be my main you know, uh, message to anybody at this point because you can't change the past. So you might as well you know, do your best to learn from it. Absolutely, absolutely. And Keith, I wish you all the best for the road ahead, all luck for the road ahead. And thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been a joy talking to you, understanding you, understanding your journey, learning from you and learning with you, I would say. So thank you so much once again. Thank you for having me. I you know, I can't, I can't believe someone even wanted to speak to me. So I'm so excited. I, you know, you're doing me the favor, I feel like. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to go tell my wife how, uh, how great this was. So uh, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Keith.